Ah. What the crap? Why is it making... What is it doing? What is that? I don't know. It's my computer started talking to me. It started yelling at you. It did, and I'm like, I don't know why you're yelling at me. Please stop. Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week, on July 19th, we will be discussing The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, as chosen by our patron Ronnie. Then, on July 26th, we will be discussing our favorite side characters. If you'd like to help Ronnie choose an episode every month, check out our Patreon. For the first two weeks of every month, a poll is available for our $5 and up patrons to pick an episode they'd like to hear about the following month. We hope you consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge thank you and shout out to our patron, Ronnie. May you find a new favorite book this week. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your hosts, myself, Mo, and my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we're going to talk about Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. We have a special guest today, Amy from the Rambling Ravenpuffs. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Hi, first off, thank you so much for inviting me to join you guys. So yeah, I am the host of the Rambling Raven Pups. It is a reread podcast where my co-host Jess and I, we read two chapters at a time and go over all of our thoughts about them each week. And um, then I, gotta, oh, I was going to say, so when I looked up your podcast, I just got to say, I love your logo. Just so you know, it, it just speaks to me because I, as a Hufflepuff. I was like, thank uh, you. Yes. Well, do you know what your moon sign Hogwarts house is? Uh, no, I've not gotten that deep. No, yeah. Well, I'm definitely a hardcore Hufflepuff, as is my co-host Jess, but we both love books and reading and learning so much so that, you know, it kind of goes without saying that we are Ravenpuffs and my Patronus is also a, um, is a raven, so. Very nice. I say my Patronus is a Newfoundland, just like my puppy that I have. Abby, what's your Patronus? Gosh, I don't even remember. It's been so long since I took that quiz. <laughs> if it's not a cat, then I don't know who you are. Yeah. It wasn't a cat. It might have been a wolf of some sort. I don't know. I thought it was weird. And I went, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Amy, where are you guys right now on your podcast since you're doing a reread? Ah, uh, yes. So, we are currently recording. We're in... Uh, chap- finishing chapter eight of Prisoner of Azkaban in terms of what's available as of this very moment. It just finished book two, the wrap up. So what's it like rereading the books with someone who's never read it before? An exercise in self-restraint. <laughs> I can see that. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of a challenge, but not too much. And it's also fun to mislead her sometimes. and. <laughs> yeah so cool. you're like and in fact and in fact she said she's like okay i realized that we i just remembered from pop culture that Sirius black is the dog and he's a werewolf and i'm like okay yeah you remember that we'll continue with that as if you know <laughs> yes he's he's a dog and a werewolf precisely mm-hmm. that's exactly it yep <laughs> <laughs> i love it i like her you're like Ooh, how devious can i get with this hold on let, let me pull in some slytherin over here real fast no man i hope you have a really good poker face <laughs> well again that's well we use zencaster so we we rarely see each other's faces 
Okay, that helps. <laughs> yeah. We just um, moved over to Zoom and it's definitely been delightful sometimes watching Abby's face. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, look, I can't look at your face right now. And it doesn't help that I'm recording in my office. So I have three screens. So right now I have like my notes on my main <laughs> screen. So I'm looking at you. But a lot of times I'm over here like, oh, what's her face doing? Got to look over here. <laughs> but and then I have yeah. another screen over here. So it's like, okay, I have so much going on. Yeah, she now gets to see all my gesticulating when I really get into it. Yes. That's the best part about talking about books is when you get really excited and you start talking with your hands and you talk even faster and you're like, yes, uh, <laughs> I also finished a great book today. And then I'm it almost was a five star. Almost. It was so close. Anyway, I'll tell you about it later, Abby. It was, it was okay. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, Amy, Harry Potter and Harry Potter. Yes. So um, Amy, where can you find your podcast? So yeah, you can find them at the usual um, podcast directories, Apple Podcast, um, Spotify, like you know, Am- you know, Amazon, like Audible, and you can also find them on my website at www.pigandpoetess.com. But be mindful that that is temporary because I will be expanding into other podcasts as well. Namely, I'm going to start a podcast this coming September. That's a reread of A Song of Ice and Fire. Ooh, yeah, so cool. I'm going to create a new website soon, soonish, and Rambling Raven Puffs will shift to that, which will be under like SophiaMareStudios.com. Nice, awesome. Um, any any other plugs? Anything else you want to say about your podcast? Just that the the actually again, there are plenty of reread Harry Potter podcasts out there. The thing that's kind of different is at the end we do sort of activities that I actually do a tarot of the day where I will draw a tarot card and read like the sort of meaning and like, you know, symbolism. And then we will apply that's that meaning and symbolism to the various elements of the chapters we we read. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And then we also do that with runes. Uh, Like I pull a Nordic rune as well. And then we also do fan speculation, fan fiction speculations where we say, what if something in the chapters went differently how would that pan out in the book i like that i love i remember reading so much harry potter fan fiction in high school like that was definitely one of my jams yeah i i still do podcast and fan fiction those are the two primary ways in which i engage with the fandom love it all right so let's jump into and talk about the order of the phoenix this is the fifth book in the harry potter series it came out in 2003 abby i'm gonna ask you first so when did you first read this book abby high school same as all the others so the i i re- first read this book right when it came out so that'd be 2003 that was the summer let's see if i graduated eighth grade in 2002 and it came out summer 2003 so it's probably right after my freshman year so i am now reading these in high school as well once again i had amazon deliver it straight to my doorstep i did not go to any of the reveal parties which i kind of regret like not going like i wish i had gone to like one of those big like midnight release parties because i did do midnight releases for like star wars movies and I think I did it like Avenger movies. And then I learned like in my, if I'm 32 now, like about 26, I learned that I can't stay up real late and go to work <laughs> and be a functional adult. So I stopped doing all that midnight stuff because instead I'd rather be laying in my bed until midnight reading than going out and socializing with people. But yeah. Um, 
I like to ramble. Amy, um, when did you first read this book? I read it when it first came out, which, as you mentioned, the sum, that must have been summer of 2003. And what's especially interesting for me is this is the first book that I had to wait for, because by the time I got into the Harry Potter series, four of the books were already out and I read them, you know, straight through. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this marks the special, like the time I actually had to wait and the Oh, I did oh. not do any of the crazy midnight reveals either. Like all I remember is it involved a specific trip into town just to get the book. And I lived in, you know, Podunk, Southern Oregon. Like if, like there wasn't any line or anything. I just picked You're it like, up. You're like, I gotta go drive to Borders, go get this book. Hold on guys. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even an official bookstore. It was like Fred Meyer or Costco. Oh, man. <laughs> like, all I, I, all I remember is, um, I remember with Deathly Hallows, like we went to Costco and the Deathly Hallow books were all just right there by the door for everyone to just grab as they came in. (laughs) Right. Grab it and go. So for me, I actually was able to read the first three books and then I had to wait. And so Goblet of Fire was the first one I had to wait for. And I remember waiting sucked. I mean, then waiting sucked even more, like trying to for these last ones to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have a very special relationship with Harry Potter. Like the fifth book, Order of the Phoenix, is actually my favorite of the books. And I remember even being a teenager, it's definitely the audiobook I listened to most. There would be so many nights where I would just fall asleep to the to the Jim Dale audiobook. Mm-hmm. This is my first time around actually doing the audiobook. So I whenever I've done all my rereads, I've always done physical copies, like Every time a new book came out, I, of course, had to reread the whole series. So before Order Phoenix came out, I reread the first four. read them. I only have one that was in paperback. That was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but the rest are on hardback. Reread, get the new one. Did that for every single book when they came out. And then this one, so Goblet of Fire is the book I always get stuck on. And then I did really good my last reread when I was rereading as ebooks, And I got stuck on Order of Phoenix again. But the audiobooks, like, Abby, I now understand why you just have Harry Potter playing all day long. Like, your children will be well indoctrinated in Harry Potter, and you're making the next generation of nerd. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I like to, so the only time I've actually read the physical Harry Potter books is in high school when I borrowed them from my friends. And ever since then, any Harry Potter reread I've done has been the audiobooks, because I've gotten the audiobooks quite a few years ago now and I just play them in the background a lot of the time because I know they're child-friendly and I have small children (laughs) and so it's something for me to concentrate on that doesn't really take too much concentration Mm -hmm. and for me like the audiobooks so I'm in IT which requires like a lot of critical thinking and a lot of hmm why did that break again so, like, these books are, like, so perfect for background noise. So, if I don't want to listen to music or podcast, like, i just been running these since the beginning of the year. And I'm like, oh, these might be permanent fixtures in my computer because they're just, mm, for one. So, my favorite books are Sorcerer's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, those have such a special place in my heart whenever I listen to them. And I'm like, I could just re-listen to these, like... I'm like, no, you can't just re-listen to the book like 100,000 times. I'm like, well, maybe I will. Who's going to stop me? I'm an adult. I can do what I want now. Do you have any idea how many times I've really listened to these books? <laughs> there's, like, there's that special meme of like, you know, I could, you know, read a whole bunch of brand new books 
or reread Harry Potter and then, yep. and then goes to the <laughs> Harry Potter. Uh, that's me in TV shows. It's like, hmm, what could I watch tonight? Should I watch MASH, Golden Girls, Bob's Burgers, or something new? I want to watch something new. Oh, terrible. It's like terrible me with Downton Abbey. Oh, that's so good, though. That's a good show. Yeah, that's a good show. Also with Maggie Smith. Mm, I was going to say, mm-hmm. Maggie Smith, she's my girl. She's one of my favorite actresses. Like, she's so good. All hail Maggie Smith. Precisely. All right, Abby, can you tell... Well, well, let's let's lead ourselves right back to the podcast where we were. So we're going to talk about <laughs> Order Phoenix tonight. Can you uh, read a summary, Abby, and tell us about this book? Sure thing. Now in his fifth year at Hogwarts, Harry learns that many in the wizarding community do not know the truth of his encounter with Lord Voldemort. Cornelius Fudge, Minister of Magic, appoints his toady, Dolores Umbridge, as defense against the dark arts teacher, for he fears that Professor Dumbledore will take his job. But her teaching is deficient and her methods cruel. So Harry prepares a group of students to defend the school against a rising tide of evil. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) This is definitely, so like, just thinking about impressions of this book, for me, this is, like, we, we come off Goblet of Fire, and the end is very dark in Goblet of Fire, and we go into this, and you're like, are we gonna move back to less dark? Kind of more the first three. And, like, this is truly where I feel like the series has taken a turn and the big, the, you know, all caps, bold, exclamation points, the big plot has started. So my nephew is, ooh, I don't know, 10, 11? Ooh, I don't know my, how old my nephew is. And he, re- he read all these books. He loves these books. I remember talking to him about these books, and especially this one, because this has a very heavy theme to it towards the end. And just, like, the stuff that, as a fifth or sixth grader, like, when you read it, like, the stuff you breeze over. And then, like, as an adult, I'm like, wow. I'm like, okay, this is a he- this is a pretty heavy book, you know? And yet we're like, hey, this is children's lit. You go read this book. <laughs> Fine. I don't know. What do you guys think? What are your impressions of this book? I appreciate it significantly more. I never hated it. Or like, again, no one, you know, there are many factions within the fandom, I should say. And I know that for one faction, that Order of Phoenix is not people's favorite because of Caplock's Harry. And so for me, it's more like as an adult, I understand Harry's position much better now because I've gone through this is a story of ultimately about a smear campaign or at least a good chunk of the story is about a smear campaign and I've you know bore I have witnessed you know people be the victim of smear campaigns and just that whole like fallout so like and Harry's dealing with all of this sort of stuff when he's just a teenager who's been traumatized by the events of Goblet of Fire so from that end, my affection and understanding of the adult themes in Order of the Phoenix have only grown with each reread. Mm-hmm. And may I just say, wizards need therapy. Oh, I was going to say it too. I was like, ooh, I'm like, you know what we were missing between books four and five? A good therapist for Harry Potter because he's yeah. not dealing with that trauma. I'm sure those panels have been on LeakyCon. Oh, I'm sure. I hope so, man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, where are the wizard therapists in all this? That's what I want to know. Right? They should be mind healers. 
I don't care what they call themselves. I just need Terry to talk to somebody besides Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, we need Madame Pomfrey to come in and go and have a deep sigh and go, got to fix this too, huh? And then fix his mind. Okay, so or now just, there's just a fan sit, fiction or I sit need. there with a notepad and be like, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> I need a fan fiction that's just Madame Pomfrey, psychologist. And then I see <laughs> Madame Pomfrey thinking, you broke an arm. I had to make this arm. <laughs> what else have I? And like internally, just sighing, like, "Oh, this this child. Dear God, what's up with this?" And then calling magical CPS. Um, this child needs a lot of help. Please remove them. Remove him from his family. Get him some help. Any other impressions, Abby, that you would like to add? Since you've heard me and Amy's, I think the big thing for me, like, I flip flop back and forth between the fourth one being my favorite and this one being my favorite. I don't have a super strong opinion either way. It just like depends on how I'm feeling that day. I think what I enjoy most about this book is like the part that Umbridge plays and just because everybody has a teacher that they hated. And I think that's why Umbridge is such a great villain is because it's a villain that hits close to home that everybody can identify with. And it's just... Yeah, there's a big bad named Voldemort. Sure, he's killing people, but that's not something that most people have seen happen or experienced happen. So it's not something that they can connect with. Yeah. Versus is significantly more insidious. Right, exactly. So I think that's part of why I like this book a whole lot. It's just students rising up against a horrible teacher. <laughs> and a horrible politician. Yes. Oh, God. True statement. All right. Well, let's deep dive into the characters of this book. So today, listeners, we are going to do a round table. We're going to start with myself. I'm going to pass it off to Amy, and then we're going to pass it to Abby. You guys got that order? Got it. All right. So first up, we have Harry Potter, 15-year-old wizard with a lightning-shaped scar. He's going back to Hogwarts for another year of learning. He just got done being the champion of the Triwizard Tournament, and... Unfortunately, he's the only one who knows that Lord Voldemort is rising again. And then we have Ron Weasley, who is the best mate of Harry Potter, also 15 years old. He is the sixth and last son of Molly and Arthur Weasley. He can be a bit insecure at times with Harry's fame, but he is a loyal friend through and through. And then, of course, we have the third member of our trio, Hermione Granger. She is a bookworm who has frizzy hair and absolute loyalty to her friends. She is muggle-born. Both of her parents are dentists, and they are not a witch and a wizard. Next up, we have Luna Lovegood, who is a lovely eccentric fork year out of Ravenclaw. And she is a... I just I don't know how to describe her. She is like that weird friend that you have that's really sweet, and you also think they're just very much out there, but they're really awesome to have around as well. And then we have Neville Longbottom, who has been the butt of many jokes since Harry arrived at Hogwarts, but he is slowly growing into his own in this book, and Harry has significantly more compassion for him after learning of Neville's past in Goblet of Fire. I need to add, Neville's glow up in the movies Ooh, sorry that actor that plays neville mm, anyway sorry i'm good i just just mentioned it's that okay one. everybody feels that way mm, i know i just i was like whenever i hear uh whenever i see neville Longbottom or hear neville i'm like oh yeah neville 
you, you had a perfect glow up. Anyway, sorry, my interjection. <laughs> and next we have Ginny Weasley. She is the youngest of the seven Weasley siblings and the only girl. So obviously her parents are Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Wow, I blanked on their names. Good job. Molly <laughs> also Weasley. <laughs> I know you just said it too. I was like, nope, I got it. Nope. <laughs> well, you are very proper because if you were walking to their house, you would call them Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. So it's okay. So Ginny has bright red hair like all the Weasleys. She is a year younger than Harry. So she is the same year as Luna, but she is a Gryffindor like the rest of her family. All right. Next up, we have Sirius Black, the fugitive godfather of Harry Potter. He is on the run from the authorities. And just a reminder, he does turn into a big black dog. And then we have Remus Lupin, one of the best friends of Sirius Black and the late James Potter. He was the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher in the Harry's third year of Hogwarts, but sadly had to resign. And now he has joined with the Order of the Phoenix. And we have Nymphadora Tonks, and don't you dare call her Nymphadora, it's Tonks. She can change her facial features to look like just about anything that she wants, including her hair color, which is normally bubblegum pink. She is an Auror and the youngest in quite a long time, I believe. All right, next up we have Albus Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts. That's all we're going to say about him. <laughs> okay. And then we have Dumbledore. I'm like, he is Dumbledore. That is it. And then we have Dolores Unbridge, the senior undersecretary to the Minister of Magic, who comes to serve as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and also becomes the High Inquisitor to wreak havoc on all the perfectly flawless, absolutely nothing wrong with the pedagogy at Hogwarts. And, of course, we have Professor Snape, the potions master at Hogwarts. He's got greasy hair. He hates Harry because of his father. And may I just say, boo. And last but not least, we have the villain, Lord Voldemort, who has who is starting to rise once again to power. All right, everyone. So that, once again, it's a very large cast of characters. And guess what, guys? As the books get longer, so does the cast of characters. This is quite a long book, so it's quite a long list of characters. When we come back, we are going to spoil this book. We're going to talk about favorite characters, least favorite characters, favorite scenes, and least favorite scenes, and give our final rating. Talk to you guys in a minute. Talk to you in a minute, guys. Bye. Hello everybody, I'm Megan. And I'm Samantha. With Literary Lushes. And we want to tell you about our podcast. Join us every other week as we dive into a sci-fi or fantasy novel where we also drink cocktails inspired by the novel. We post YouTube videos of us making the cocktails. And a lot of the times we even have the authors on including Dennis E. Taylor, Marissa Myers, and even Angela Roquet. So join us because you don't want to miss the podcast that's been described as not taking ourselves too seriously. And with that we say, stay Stay lively with with your libations. libations. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if you have not read Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix or at least seen the movie, please pause right here, go read the book, and then come back and talk to us. We are going to start with favorite characters. And of course, since we have a guest, we're going to start with Amy. Well, again, you know, she has a whole chapter named after her. I think definitely one of the 
My favorite characters is Luna Lovegood. I have taken a variety of personality quizzes and they always come out as being the character I am most like is in fact, you know, Luna Lovegood. And I, I just really appreciate the fact that she's so, I actually, I love her. I am more critical of her in the current political climate, just because we think of her conspiracy theories that she spews out in the books as being like harmless and just part of her quirkiness. But I do look at, I do look at that element of her character, you know, under a different lens with the whole, you know, you know, since 2016 and then with the pandemic and all misinformation that has been spread. So I, you know, I still love her, but I've definitely approached her character in a new light. Undoubtedly, uh, Nymphadora Tonks. I like Nymphadora, you know, first of all, she's just a badass, you know, on general principle. But I like the fact that, you know, they go out of their way, like to make a note that, you know, Nymphadora Tonks is a Hufflepuff and it shows that Hufflepuffs can also be badass and hardworking and, you know, work at a prestigious job like a, like being an or It's not all about Gryffindors and Slytherins getting the glory. So I like, I like the fact that she is a Hufflepuff. And then it's funny because I have a very conflicting, I, you know, Sirius Black was my favorite as a kid, but as I become more of an adult, I see more and more of his flaws and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still, st- I still stand be what's so funny. Oh, sorry. I went on a giant serious black grant in one of our past episodes. That's so funny. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, Abby. Like, Oh, I was like, how long are you going to talk about this? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not okay, a fan. Yeah, like, so he, like, I still stand behind, you know, the, like, the general defense of what can you expect when he's in this state of arrested development because he basically is mentally, you know, a immature 20-year-old. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Those are my favorites that come to mind. And don't get me wrong. I totally understand, like, the logic logic behind the way he acts and why he acts the way he does, but it doesn't make me like him any better. <laughs> Okay, I opened Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I will not speak that much about Sirius Black this episode, I swear. <laughs> you will reframe today. Excellent. I will. <laughs> so, if I was jumping to my favorite characters, like, I remember when I first read this book, Luna was not one of my favorite characters. I was like, what is up with this weird chick? But every time I reread the books, the more I'm like, She's that person that even though she's weird, she also has this really big heart because like we learn later on that Harry sees the, I'm going to kill the names, the names of the um, Thristles, right? Did I get it right? Thestrals. Thestrals. I'm not good at pronunciation. Like when he starts seeing them, he's like, why am I seeing these? And she's like, oh, well, it's because you saw someone die in your life. I saw that happen too. And like she... Even through her quirkiness, she still is able to empathize with him and kind of offer him some support. And I was just like, oh, I was like, man, a 15 year old, like not being a jerk. I'm like, this is nice, you know, and just the way she lets things roll off her back. You know, like there's a scene where, I mean, her dad owned the basically a wizarding tabloid, a quibbler, and she's just reading upside down, whatever doesn't you know 
not a big yeah. deal. And she, I don't know. I just really appreciate that she marches to the beat of her own. And she's just like, I just don't I just do my own thing. And I'm a Yeah. And to add on to that, you know, the her the actress who played her, what's her name? Ivana Lynch or I forget. But she, um, she played it so well, and her dynamic with Daniel Radcliffe, like, like on screen, was like, I sh- they, this is one of my favorite non-canon ships now. <laughs> I okay honestly could have totally gotten behind movie Harry and movie Luna getting together. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love in this book, we really start to see a lot of character growth in um, Neville. Like he goes from kind of squishy, kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing, kind of bumbling idiot to a little bit braver, a little bit stronger. Like he joins Dumbledore's army. He starts really mastering different spells and charms. Cause like really what he's really good at is herology, which is fine. Everyone has their own specialty, but you really get to see his confidence grow. And I really like, really like how when him and Luna join Dumbledore's army that they have this whole group from Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff and Gryffindor come together and build each other up. I don't know. I'm really a sucker for whenever I see young adults support one another and really try to boost one another without trying to tear each other down. Yeah. Actually, you know, you know, a lot of times in the fandom, Luna, Neville, and Ginny are referred to as, what is it, the silver trio compared to the golden trio. I'm okay with that one. And then, of course, I love Hermione. I will forever mention Hermione as always as my favorite character. I just got, I mean, if I had a girl crush, she's my girl crush because she is smart. She's resourceful. She gets the job done and she keeps those boys in line. Cause let me tell you, Harry and Ron, they, they need someone to keep them in line. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> All right, Abby, passing that ball to you. All right. I will of course jump on the Luna bandwagon because I love my girl Luna. <laughs> She's just, it's so nice to finally see somebody from Ravenclaw who's not a jock because Harry is so oblivious. The only person from Ravenclaw he's really noticed is Cho Chang. And Roger Davis in passing. Yes. It's because he plays such good Quidditch. You know how he feels about his Quidditch. Yes, but Harry the jock only notices the other jocks. And so (laughs) that's what we got. So he finally notices Luna because... She exists and she's in his face. <laughs> but I just, I really like seeing her. I like seeing somebody who's a little bit different. I like seeing someone who doesn't automatically try and latch on to the main characters. Even though she's an important character in these books, she doesn't like purposely seek them out a bunch. She's not trying to like insert herself into their group or anything crazy. She's just like naturally becomes part of the silver trio, basically. Mm -hmm. I just, I really enjoy her for all the previously mentioned reasons. And of course, I love my boy Neville. He is such a sweetheart. I adore that scene um, towards the beginning where he meets up with Harry on the train and goes, look what my uncle got me and shows him this plant. And Harry's just like, cool, Neville, uh, what is it? And Neville's just, you know, being his little nerdy self and geeking out about it. So I just, and then of course, I love that it's brought back because the password is the name of that plant. And he's like, I'll finally be able to remember it. Like, oh, Neville, you sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I also enjoy getting to see the expansion of his character and his character growth as this book progresses. It's just, it's very nice to see other characters getting expanded on besides the trio. Yes. It is. I, that's one thing I really like about this book is that not not only we focused on Harry, of course, and Ron and Hermione, but we actually get to see other stuff besides the classes and Quidditch and the Great Hall. But we get to see other people, you know? Like, I always wonder, like, what is Hogwarts school life actually like when we're not following Harry? Like, do they have study groups, different clubs? Like, what, what are people into besides Quidditch? Right, exactly. Well, and I also love Fred and George in this book because they're doing their businessman thing and getting test dummies for all of their cool products they're inventing. And they're just being the adorable little chaotic geniuses that they are. (laughs) And I mean, the way they leave, that is just, that is a beautiful way to leave school if you're going to. That is, if only we could could have done that in real life, right? If only we could leave with a bang like that. Oh, man, that would have been awesome. Well, let's go into least favorite characters. Amy, can you tell us who are some of your least favorite characters in this book? Least favorite characters, you know, I'm just not going to put Umbridge in this list because, like, she is just a given because, you know, most people in the fandom hate her more than Voldemort for all the reasons, Abby, that you suggested that you know, she represents a real life villain that more people can, more people interact with and have to legitimately have to deal with. Right. But certainly Snape is the least favorite and not, you know, Snape's a pain in the, you know, all the time. But this is, and you know, he's especially bad in this book because he does something that threatens the whole security of, you know, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And like, he stops giving Harry the Occlumency lessons. And that was, you know, that in itself, you know, allowed Harry to be manipulated that triggered the whole Department of Mysteries debacle. So like, as an adult reading this, like I blame 80% of the Department of Mysteries stuff. I blame 80% of it on Snape and 20% of it on Dumbledore for not realizing that Snape doesn't have the maturity to do this job. Yeah. Yeah. And then other least favorite characters, Creature. Oh. I really, really do not like Creature. And as much as, again, you know, he is a product of his environment and, and stuff like that, it's just, ugh. I can definitely roll with that one. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm going to jump on, of course, my Harry hating train. So once again, we're jumping. Uh, how many books is this now that Harry's been my least favorite character? Like, Why are you last- hating on Harry? Harry drives me crazy. Harry, I mean, <laughs> I know he's a 15-year-old boy, but I, like, the hormones have got to calm down. Stop pining over Cho. Stop making your friends angry all the time. Just... And I remember I really hate him in the beginning of the book because he's like, why won't the adults let me hear what's going on? I'm part of the Order of the Phoenix, too. And I'm like, buddy, you're 15. Chill. Like, (laughs) I'm down. Like, there's a reason why you're not in there, you know. 
Didn't you know 15 years old is an adult? Obviously, 15-year-olds can make very good decisions because I obviously <laughs> made great decisions as a 15-year-old. Oh, sarcasm. But man, and I mean, this is like classic. Like he needs, obviously he needs help and he's not getting help and he's just driving me crazy. And I just want to shake him and be like, buddy, like, I know you just saw a kid die in front of you. I know that you are having these awful dreams and your scar is hurting. Let's talk about that. And no one's taking care of him, which, okay. So maybe he's not, it's not his fault that he's my least favorite character. It's, he's a, again, like um, you said, Amy, just a, a product of his environment. No one's like helping. He doesn't have a, he, he has support, but not the right kind of support, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously his godfather is not helping because Sirius is just like Harry and they are two peas in a pod and they need someone to wrangle them. <laughs> and of course, Umbridge, like, I, I know like everyone in the fandom hates her, but man, she is like the villain that makes my blood boil. Like she's so sticky, sweet, you know, sweet quotation. She's all pink and fluffy and simpering. Yes. And just that personality, just the way she's portrayed, I guess, I don't want to say like triggers, like a lot of memories and stuff, but really makes me reflect on the people that have been in my life. Who have acted like that, you know, they, on the outside, they seem wonderful and great. And then like, it's not a, re- it's just a facade. They're not really that person. And whenever she's in this book, I'm just reminded of that. And I'm like, oh, I hate you so much. Like you just bring up bad memories. <laughs> and I think that's what brings it to me. All right, Abby, throwing the ball to you. I mean, obviously everybody hates Umbridge, but I kind of, so I both love her and hate her. I hate her because she's a horrible person, obviously, but I also love her because she's a fantastic villain. Like, you can't deny that. It doesn't matter how much you hate her. You have to admit, she is a grade A villain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's that duality of, she seems so sweet. She loves pink and kittens and bows and like things that you might associate with happier things than Umbridge. (laughs) And so it's just, oh, she's such a, a well-done villain that I hate her, but it's good that I hate her because I'm supposed to. <laughs> and, you know, and at least we can say with J.K. Rowling's writing with that is that <clears throat> she made a villain that we truly hate. It's like, it's when an actor can bring to life someone on screen. And I'm thinking right now of Captain, what is it? The Shield and the Winter Soldier, right? Captain America and Winter Soldier. Captain America and Winter Soldier, where the new Captain America comes, comes on the screen, like he's trying his best to be the new Captain America, but obviously we're all, and, but the actor did so good playing the character that we're like, yes, we hate you. And then the crazy fans got to chill. I'm like, he's an actor. You'd be nice to him. Like, I love, I love when writers do that, when the actors bring these characters to life. Like, that's just, ooh, it just feels so good. Okay, feels so good to hate. That sounds so wrong. I don't know. It's nice to have your feelings manipulated the right way, I guess. Something like that. Whatever. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And then my other least favorite character in this book is Dumbledore. This is the book where I really start to get pissed off with Dumbledore. Because man doesn't explain and that's not okay. And he goes around acting like this benevolent, all-knowing headmaster who's going to take care of everybody did he get harry a therapist nah did he talk to harry at all 
No, because Voldemort might have somehow used the Aquaman seed to see into his brain. You could have explained that to Harry in like a letter or something. Or anything. Any, anything to get this kid a clue that he's being manipulated. Like, like you're like, how old are you? You know these things, right? Right, exactly. And it's this is the first book that really... Okay, Dumbledore kind of pisses me off in all of these books anymore. But... <laughs> As an adult, Dumbledore is not our favorite character. As an adult, Dumbledore upsets me. But this is the first book where he, like, just stops talking to Harry and, like, blatantly isn't explaining things. And it's just... He's a child, but as a teenager, he needs to be treated with a certain amount of adult respect. Like, no, you're not completely ready for all of this. But a lot of it should have been explained to him. Like, God, I hate Dumbledore so much. He makes me so angry. Interesting. You remind me of a trend I'm noticing, like, in the fan fictions that I still read because I'm a 30-year-old nerd. I still okay. read fan fiction. No, no, no judgment. I don't, I don't have time for fan fiction. I wish <laughs> I did. I got, other, but, um, I got other books to read. Anyway. And certainly in a lot of fan fictions I read, again, you can very obviously tell like in how they portray Dumbledore is that they do take that more like, you know, you know, he is, a, you know, the puppet master manipulator, which I, yeah, I just never got to that point. Like, I'm totally with you. And I hate, again, I hate Dumbledore for not, you know, disclosing everything, but I still see him as an overall benevolent character even though he made a lot of critical flaws but yeah I never I it's interesting to hear that perspective because I'm seeing it more and more and fanfic writers are portraying that more and more yeah and I think part of it for me is that I started the audiobook rereads that I have done for the umpteenth time now shortly before I had my first kid and so I was coming into it with the perspective of a mother going what if Harry was my kid? Like, and that's just something that it just occurred to me because I had a child. Like I hadn't thought of it before then. That just like, none of that had clicked at all. So like, sure, leave a baby on the doorstep. No big deal. Of course, my mom self is going, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> he left an infant on a doorstep and expected the infant to still be there. <laughs> it was like, the nineties. Oh, my oh, that's right. In the 90s, it was fine. We all grew up in the 90s, guys. We could play until the streetlights came on. Our parents couldn't track us with cell phones. I remember, I mean, like now as an adult, like my mom let me go swimming at my friend's house from the age of like eight until I stopped hanging out with this girl when I went to high school. So like for five years, I was swimming without an adult supervision in their pool. I could have drowned. I would never known. And now I'm like, no, I must hoard my children like a dragon who hoards her treasure and keep my children. I am, I'm a helicopter mom, guys. I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just like, so that's my big issue with Dumbledore nowadays is that I'm just coming at it with a very different perspective than I've had in the past. And that's what makes all the difference for me looking at Dumbledore going, these actions are not okay. <laughs> like, CPS should have been involved. Wizard CPS should have been involved in this case. <laughs> ah, yes, we talk about wizard CPS or some or social workers or something whenever we whenever my co-host Nine Rambling Ravenpuffs discuss the Dursley chapters. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the Dursleys! 
I forgot they were even in this book. That's okay. We we just forget <laughs> about them at this sometimes. Yeah, you you just forget about them. It's so fine. I'm, Let's move on to something happier. How about favorite scenes? Perfect. Amy, jump into it. Jump into it. Okay. Favorite scenes. I think we might have touched upon this in some capacity. One of my favorite scenes, and again, one of the scenes that I would listen to like on repeat when I was a teenager, just because that was the one CD of the audiobook in, in my player, was the big argument between Sirius Black and Molly Weasley at number 12 Grimmauld Place. Because that is a that is a con that's a battle of ideologies that we see that we've seen previously and continues throughout the books that you have this kid who, you know, has been targeted by this dark wizard. And so, you know, he's a kid, but at the same time, he's been through things. And therefore, again, as you said, like, you know, the whole question of how much do you tell him? And honestly, you know, I think, Mo, you might've been, you you might, I think we disagree on this. Like, honestly, I'm in, as much as I see Sirius's flaws in other ways, I'm totally with team. I'm team Sirius in that argument of the fact that Harry is manipulated as he is because the adults are basically trying to treat, in my opinion, trying to teach him, treat him as if he's like five years old when he's gone already, when he's already dealt with the Philosopher's Stone and the Basilisk and, you know, traveling through time and the graveyard. Like, you know, for 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 people supporting Molly Weasley it's like you can't save this kid it, it's too it's too late to like give him an innocent childhood that's done so we just got to work on survival right now and do you know as much as i dislike Sirius Black in that conversation in that context i was going you know Molly he's got a point <laughs> like he legit has some good points here and as much as i love Molly Weasley and identify with her I I do think she was being overbearing and Mm -hmm. in her defense, I think part of that comes from she was not there for any of those things that he went through prior because he was at school dealing with it all. So she didn't see the giant snake that he killed. She didn't see, you know, him facing down Voldemort and getting through all the different traps that the teachers had set up. And she just, she hasn't seen any of it. So she's not thinking in those terms. She's thinking in the terms of this is my kid. I'm not going to let my kid be involved in this. Cause I don't want him to get hurt. Like she's not thinking logically. She's just not. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's a I, iconic scene um, to me in the series. And again, t- discussing a very, you know, core tenant and you know themes of you know what was the what should have been the best thing to do in regards to harry another scene i really like is snape's worst memory i like it not because of the events that specifically occurred but i do like it in showing the complexity you know of you know the complicated relationship between um severus snape and the marauders including harry's dad and you know for so long harry had been given this um idyllic image of his father and realizing that oh like my father could be an sometimes and i think and especially i think of you know the way 
James and Sirius and all of them were at that time. Like they went to school in the 70s. So this would have been the height of, you know, Voldemort reigning terror on everyone. They're only protected because they're in the school. And so like, yeah, he was 15. But at the same time, things were getting really bad you know, with Voldemort, the way that things are getting bad now with Harry. So I'm just like, why didn't that, why didn't that make him grow up a little beforehand? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm complaining about all the characters, but again, I like showing that. I liked showing that contrast. And then I think, especially because when I first read it and first read, listened to the audiobook, Jim Dale, delivers the last line of that chapter so well that, you know, it was, you know, Harry wasn't upset that he got jars thrown out of him. It's, it was that Snape, his father had been just every bit as arrogant as Snape had always told him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have to consider Harry's dad was basically a spoiled only child rich kid. Like, because his parents were wealthy, he was the only kid, and they doted on him. I believe mm-hmm. it's, it's stated somewhere. Yeah. And so, like, his arrogance, totally understandable. Like, mm-hmm. I get the root of it. Not that he was a nice person because of it, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Is it my turn? Yep. Perfect. So, a few different scenes... I love when Umbridge is carried away by the centaurs. That's like yes. one of the most wonderful, beautiful scenes ever invented. I'm like, Poetic thank justice. You. It was the best thing ever. Well, also, I can't remember who lured her out of the, was it Harry? The Harry, like, was it Harry and Ron and Hermione who took her out into the woods to get her taken It was away? Harry, Harry and, and Hermione. Hermione. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Although there is the, um, you know, people have um, taken note of, you know, in in Greek like mythology, the centaurs, you know, there was this sort of stereotype of centaurs, you know, carrying women off with them and raping them. And so sometimes sometimes (laughs) just the fact that it's centaurs taking Umbridge away, like I don't think, you know, J.K. Rowling jk rolling meat meant anything by it but that has been brought up yeah i don't think she probably meant anything by it but <sighs> i know right i'm like well <laughs> i'm like she's so awful that we're like well yeah but i did love that i i love i love how they the kids are able to ma- manipulate this adult into like why yes uh, Dumbledore has a secret weapon out in the woods. Follow us. Really? How dumb can you be, Umbridge? Like, how desperate can you be? Olds. But sure, you go follow those kids and you <clears throat> see what happens. Oh, <laughs> carried away by centaurs, man. Yep. But, oh, ugh, loved it. I also love when they get into the Hall of Mysteries and they're, I always remember this chapter, the same thing whenever I reread it of them just walking down the hallways, the hallway, really, and just these shelves lined with these little balls. And, you know, it's like one of those scenes that just really sticks with you. And, like, and you can just imagine yourself walking there with them and it's dark-ish, creepy-ish. And, like, there's these balls with swirling mist in it. And you know that these are all prophecies. And, like, 
don't know. They have a lot of self-restraint because I've been like, Ooh, what's in this one? Ooh, what's in this one? I mean, it's like, you know, like shaking them like can't like, you know, Easter eggs on Sunday morning. But maybe that's why they're cursed. So you can't touch them. Yeah. Uh, listen, sometimes I'm not as smart as praying the box and be like, let's touch that. <laughs> it's shiny. Yeah. It's shiny. I, want, I want to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always love that. And I was always like, you know, like when you're daydreaming, you're like, yes, I'm Dumbledore's army and you're imagining yourself and you're walking there with them. And you're like, I'm going to go save Sirius from Voldemort and the Hall of Mysteries. I don't know. It's one one of it, for me. It's probably one of those scenes where I just like I just love daydreaming about it. And then again, I love the three. I wish Slytherin had like, and we talk about this, Abby. Like how Slytherin is so outcast by everybody else. But I do wish that they had been part of Dumbledore's army. But I do love the three, like at least three of the houses coming together to work together to learn, you know, and to improve themselves and to be ready. And they're all from different walks of life, different stages, different ages. And mm-hmm. okay, and this is one of the scenes where Harry's leadership does shine a little bit. Good job, Harry. You can draw people to you. You are a good leader sometimes, even though you're not the smartest one in the group. But yeah. Yeah, yeah like I looking back in the series against Slytherin being outcast, I really wish there was a like muggle-born Slytherin girl. Like secondary character, like Luna Lovegood. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. But then that begs the question: We've I've discussed in my podcast. Can a will the Sorting Hat even sort a Muggleborn into Slytherin because of like is or, that or, or, or would the Hat knowing the prejudice that they could yeah like would, in the house like would the Hat yeah like my my honestly my head canon is that a lot of Slytherin-esque Muggleborns are most likely in Ravenclaw. Mm. I can see that. Yeah. Abby and I have talked extensively now about, man, so it was book three where Gryffindor won the house or the um, Quidditch Cup and how mm-hmm. everyone was rooting, you know, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff's rooting for Gryffindor. And then you just had Slytherin. And man, Abby, so what, what was it you said that we were talking about? Like what yeah. if it had been reversed? You know, like. Yeah, rereading that scene, it was just so apparent to me how isolated Slytherin is because literally every other student who is not a Slytherin is rooting for Gryffindor. Like there's not a single Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff that is rooting for Slytherin in that match. And it's just, God, how horrible. Like, can you imagine being sorted in Slytherin and knowing that you have no other option except to befriend the other Slytherins? Like, ah. It just, that kills me. Slytherin's isolation kills me. It's almost like, you know, they're self-prophesizing that, oh, all, you know, wizards who have gone bad came out of Slytherin. There's never, you know, it's kind of like, no, guys, like, they're kids. Like, you you can't just be bad inherently, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... In my head, I wish Slytherin had been part of Dumbledore's army, but I do love that the other houses do come together and they are trying to, and they're working together as a team. I love things that show teamwork. Abby, go for it. Oh, yeah. Um, It was our last episode. I talked about how one of the Slytherins put his name in the Goblet of Fire. And one of the Gryffindors mentions like, oh, we can't have a Slytherin as a Hogwarts champion. I was thinking, what if you did? 
<laughs> like, what if Harry was not in this equation and you ended up with a Slytherin champion instead of Cedric? Like, would would they have rooted for him? It would like, have been what, mutiny. Right. Or would they all been for Harry, even though instead this time it was Harry was outcasted for being, then he would right. be the champion anyway. Mm-hmm. Then, like, everybody would have been behind Harry instead of ostracizing him after that initial, like, before the first task it would have been Harry that everybody was rooting for because they're like, oh, I don't want to root for a Slytherin. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, Abby, you talk anyway, about your favorite scenes. I love all the Dumbledore army scenes. I love seeing Harry begin to enjoy teaching because my headcanon is that Harry became the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher afterwards. Like, sure, maybe he was an aura for a little while, but that's not where he stayed. <laughs> Um, it, I just I love seeing him bringing out the best in the kids that he's teaching and making a difference in their educations and actually like because it's thanks to him in part that Neville really starts getting some of his character growth and Luna suddenly has people around her who are like friends and I just I love all those scenes. They make me so happy. I actually also really enjoy Harry's trial just because of all the politicking that is going on. And it's so obvious that it's going on. And it really shows the rot starting to show in the Ministry of Magic. So I also really enjoy Umbridge being carried off. Of course, I like her getting her comeuppance. Um, Goodbye. (laughs) And then the twins leaving the school is just absolutely iconic. And they did okay in the movies, but the chaotic wave that the twins left behind themselves in the book is just amazing. The swamp in the corridor and the fireworks that multiply every time you try to stop them. (laughs) It's just all this utter absolute chaos that is left it's just it's beautiful it's brilliant it's everything i wanted for my chaotic chaotic genius little twins so i always have fun with that scene all right amy so what least favorite scenes do you have then definitely what i'm thinking of is brock he was just not one of my favorites like you know just that whole sort of subplot like didn't really speak to me I felt like it was just more like repetition of like I wish Harry Hagrid's character would have developed a little more and but once again it was like oh a Hagrid is demanding impossible task out of children what else is new mm-hmm. yeah Hagrid and, did not shine in this book for sure <laughs> yeah Again, one of my least favorites is, I I think, is Harry's trial with because of the politicking. And I don't know why that pisses me off more than, you know, the Snape's worst memory chapter. But yeah, just seeing the politicking and what a ruse it is. And, you know, again, the fact that it's so obvious, like using one of the like old the old courtrooms from the Wizarding War just for, like, a misdemeanor. And it's just, yeah, it just makes me so mad. Mm-hmm. And then I think also least favorite scene is 
Dumbledore explaining everything at the end to Harry. And it's just like, screw you. <laughs> oh, have I mentioned yet that I don't like Dumbledore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because right, it was a bit know? of a humble break. I cared about you too much. Screw you. Right. <laughs> like, that is no excuse to leave him hanging for nine months. No. Ugh. Yeah, but those are my least favorites that come to mind. The ones that always stood out to me is, of course, is the Mina Umbridge scene. Is the one where Harry has to write and the words end up appearing on his hand. Like, just can't imagine that kind of basically torture. You know what I mean? I know, like, they used to be able to hit kids with a switch and everything, and maybe um, England's different because I know the Dursleys mentioned that the school they were going to send Harry to, they use a cane on kids. I mean, maybe there are some different punishments out in the 90s in England. I don't know. But just, like, just allowing someone to hurt a kid like that and, like, visibly scar them. I'm pretty sure he, like, he was scarred, right? That he kept that. Yeah, or at least at least for a year afterwards. Yeah. No, I, I've always just been curious by that scene in the sense of, like, what was going through Umbridge's mind. Was she doing it knowing that even if Harry said something to someone that they wouldn't be able to do anything? Or was she doing some super manipulative, I know he's gonna, like, I know he's very proud and won't say anything? Like, like I've always... I've always wondered, like, if he had said something to McGonagall, like, what would have happened? Right. It's like, why Why would you not tell somebody else? Well, and the thing about Harry is that, thanks to the Dursleys and growing up with them, he doesn't ask questions and he doesn't actually trust adults. And so when big things happen, he doesn't immediately go to McGonagall or Dumbledore or Sirius or Lupin or anybody he could have trusted he goes to Ron and Hermione and Ron and Hermione being 15 year olds as well, immediately go, yeah, you probably shouldn't tell anybody. Well, Hermione might not, but Ron will usually back him up with, no, you shouldn't tell anybody. This is why we need Hermione for her voice of reasoning. Like Hermione should have at least told some, someone should have told someone like, Mm -hmm. this is where I find like the flaw in the writing here is like, who lets a kid do this or who, who lets an adult do this to a kid? And why did no one stop her? Mm-hmm. Well, and I kind of wonder if Hermione didn't say anything because of the backlash she got from Ron and Harry when she told McGonagall about the firebolt that was sent to Harry. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't talk to her until they got the broom back. Yeah, well, they're also kind of jerks, so we know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not a fan of Ron either. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm not. I'm not either. Hermione could have done so much better. Gosh. I know, like Hermione, like like latch on to Neville, latch on to Fred and George, like at, mm, not Percy. Percy's. Oh my god! Um, won the podcast. Um, Fox and the Foxhound that I listened to. They're on Half Blood Prince, and I'm begging for Victor Crumb back. See, I could have done Hermione with Crumb. I could have done. I think J.K. Rowling originally meant to put Hermione with like Fred, and I'm like, I could have gotten behind that ship so much better. <laughs> um and then of course so when i read this book i did not understand that sirius was really gone okay so i finished the book it was great 
I was like, all right, they're, you know, next book, it's going to be plot. They're going to have to go get this little thing, this little portal and go get serious, you know, back. Right. That was going to be the plot. That's what I told myself in my head. And then I'm talking to people and like, no, you're an idiot. Sirius is dead. And I'm like, no, why would they, why would they do that? Why would JK Rowling just yank away Harry's basically one decent family member, you know, like, so for me, like Sirius dying, like I didn't understand it. And then when I did, I was devastated. I'm like, no, this is not what I want to happen. He's Harry's supposed to have a good life and go live with Sirius and make bad decisions together, you know? <laughs> so, like, I love that scene because I love that battle because we get to see adults doing magic, which is fabulous. I love watching, or watching, you know, reading adults doing magic. But then that happened. And that makes me so mad for the, the ramifications afterwards, basically. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it wasn't clear to me, but that's just me. Yeah, that just makes me hate Sirius for going. <sighs> so, but one it's of so my him. least favorite scenes is Harry charging off to save Sirius without checking, without actually checking that Sirius was okay. Like, I hate that Sirius gave him a way to communicate with him. And literally, Harry throws it in his trunk and never looks at it again until after Sirius is dead and the thing is broken. Like... First off, your godfather is trapped in that house by himself. He specifically gave you a way to communicate with him, and you're not calling him? Do you actually like this guy? Yeah, I... uh, Yeah, that with the two-way mirror, it's very almost like the Greek tragedy. Like, I used to really not like it and thought it was a super huge plot hole and that it was dumb. But lately, I've taken more the approach that, you know, Harry specifically doesn't use it and doesn't look at it because he does not want to utilize it to, you know, you know, talk to Sirius about all of what's going on and provoke Sirius to do something, you know, dumb the way he saw, like they were in the in the fireplace. And so it's because he didn't want to get serious in trouble that he didn't use it. So there's something very ironic and very tragic about it. Yeah, I can understand that. I just it always drives me nuts that he didn't Especially try especially with the fire scene because it's like why mm-hmm. couldn't Sirius mention the mirror in the fire scene? That is the biggest that's the biggest that's the biggest hole. Yeah. Like there's it, it makes me so mad because I know bad things are coming when he charges off to go save him. And I'm just like, Harry, who put you in charge of this mission again? <laughs> you... So this oh. is where Harry's leadership sucks. He does really good as a teacher. Not good decision. Not a good decision to think, hey, I'm going to lead my friends into the Ministry of Magic because I'm having, you know, visions of my godfather being tortured by Voldemort. You're... Oh, how many of these kids, six, seven of them... Going against adult wizards. Guys, guys, you got to think a little bit more, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, so Hermione's the general who has all the really good plans. And Harry is that like prize fighter who's out there on the front lines. 
you don't let the prize fighter make the plans. <laughs> it doesn't end well. <laughs> you made me think of um, Rage of Dragons. Yes. This is why Tao did not become the general. I would never let Tao become the general, and that's why. Because he's Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> With very scary <laughs> fighting abilities. He's a very scary Harry Potter, but he's Harry Potter in this situation. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, what's your other scene, Abby? Oh, yeah, I totally agree about that detention with Umbridge where she tortured him. It's just like, how do you even sit there with a straight face, much less smiling, while you force somebody to do that to themselves? It's just, mm, I hate it. I hate it so much. She's just evil. (sighs) She is. All right, well, let's wrap this up tonight with our final thoughts, Amy. So our final thoughts generally... What is your rating of out of five stars? How many stars would you give this book? And anything else you might want to mention? I would give it a 4.4. Tell us about your rating. Well, again, it is my favorite book because I understand the themes significantly more as an adult. And again, more compassion for Harry being the teacher being the teenager with PTSD and making really dumb choices and none of the adults are, and the adults are, aren't doing anything better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. And then I don't know any final thoughts. The only thing I would say is we didn't talk about the scarring of Marietta Edgecombe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which again, I know <laughs> this is a source of contention in the fandom, but honestly, at least in the moment for like a temporary punishment, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, I guess I'm a Machiavellian Hufflepuff (laughs) in that way where it's like the fact that there was a punishment for going against your word, that shouldn't have been the deciding factor on whether you were going to, you know, go against your word. You should have just kept your word to keep the secret on general principle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I am perfectly fine with the punishment. Like, as a long-term punishment, I don't think it's fair. No, it's not. But, like, definitely in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I'm just one of those people who gives very, like, yeah, they're quote-unquote kids, but the stakes are really high. And, you know, she should if she didn't like it, she should have just stayed out of it. Right. It's not like she bratted out a cheater or something. It's... Yeah. Yeah. All right. For me, this book, I actually had to write them all out again to make sure. This is my fifth favorite book or my third least favorite book. I don't know which way you would put it. It's book number five on my list of how I feel about this book, which is, I guess, appropriate for year five. Very neutral about it. Like, Goblet of Fire is my least favorite book. And then, like, Chambers number six. I think this is five. I don't know. Like, the last, like, Order Phoenix, Chamber Secrets, and Goblet of Fire all kind of, like, melded together my least favorite book pile um we have such issues with emo harry and i I really just can't i didn't i didn't like emo harry then i don't like emo harry now and that's my biggest issue with this book like more overall is a pretty exciting book because you get to once again leave hogwarts go do something different explore more of the wizarding world but I don't do well with the whole, I'm having all these feelings. I'm not dealing with them appropriately. I'm being a jerk to my friends. I'm also pining over this chick. It's like, come on, child. Like, 
get get your act together. Talk to the adults. You are 15 years old. You can't see the world yet until book seven. So probably like a 3.5 out of five. Man, I've really enjoyed listening to the books this time and doing the audiobooks. Like, I am, I don't know what version of the audiobooks I have, honestly. They're from Audible. But I really like the format. Like, I think I like the book more as a listening book than I did as a reading book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally understand that. <laughs> but Abby, thank you for having me reread the book this year. I really enjoyed these rereads and I've enjoyed doing the podcast with you with them. You're welcome. I have good ideas occasionally. You do. <laughs> and I'm really liking having a guest. Thank you, Amy, for joining us tonight. Yes, thank you. Of course, it was my pleasure. As I said, uh, I flip-flop between four and five being my favorite just because there's so much cool world expansion in Doppel of Fire, but this one has such an awesome villain and a great plot in general. So I'd probably give this book like 4.5 stars. My major drawback is that they really need some therapists, but um, <laughs> so many problems would have been solved if they just had a therapist. So many problems, man. Uh um, but other than that, yeah, 4.5 stars. I just, I really enjoy this book. I love hating Umbridge. She is <laughs> such a great villain to hate. She's awesome. <laughs> and I think the lady who played her in the movies was fantastic. Oh, yes. Fun yes, fact, my, like my dad, who is like, I would say more of a jock musician than a nerd absolutely adores the Harry Potter books and the Harry Potter movies. He was watching Harry Potter when I picked up the kids today. <laughs> and I'm like, okay with this. Like, he got me into Star Trek. My mom, well, him and my mom got me into Star Trek and Star Wars. But I'm like, let's forget about, like, his secret nerdy self that he sometimes shows. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot you love Harry Potter. <laughs> anyway, fun fact. All right, ladies. Well, if that is it for tonight, Amy, will you plug your podcast one more time for our listeners? Yeah, of course. It's Rambling Raven Puffs. You can check it out in all the major podcast directories. And I look forward for when you guys join me on my podcast for chapters 19 and 20 of The Prisoner of Azkaban. Ooh, I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, It's my favorite book. So I am ready for this. Let me tell you. All right, ladies, you all have a good night tonight, and we'll talk to you guys later. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use, or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks, like access to our miniseries, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A Benoit. And on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.